just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Johnny and welcome to the show. There are times when I speak to certain guests and I don't even realize until I come to edit the show how much value they pack in to the conversation we have. And I don't always know exactly what I'm going to get until we actually have the conversation. So, you know, that's one of the things that makes podcasting interesting and fun. Sometimes you have amazing conversations that you may not have fully expected. Sometimes you end up having flat or weird conversations that you weren't expecting as well. Now this, I have to say, is one of the amazing conversations that I got to have. And Mike Verrett is my guest on this show. He is really talking about things like pitching and and really messaging your brand message to your audience, the things about you and what you do professionally that people actually connect with. And I say, I think several times during the recording that I'm going to be going back and listening to this episode. That is no joke. And even after having just finished editing the show and listening to that whole conversation over again, I want to listen to it again because there's some stuff here that I really, really want to get. And I think you may find you have the same experience here. Mike shares some real gems. An incredible story as well for anyone who's familiar with the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World franchise and wants to hear how Mike was involved in that. You're going to love that. That's quite early on in the show. You won't have to wait too long for that incredible story, but it was a lot of fun. But really just getting this whole thing about what actually connects you and what you do with your audience in a way that's going to single you out, stand you out to other people. We've addressed this in various different ways on the show before with different guests. And for me, this is one of my favorites that is talking about this because Mike gives some really clear structure as to how to go about thinking about what you do and how that's going to connect with your audience or your potential customers and what the next step actually should be from there. Not the one that often people go straight to, which is always trying to make that sale right? We don't like it generally when people try to go in dry and uh, don't have any social lubrication before they even start to try and make a sale and get you to buy their product or services. Random people appearing in your inbox or your DMs doesn't generally do it for most people and that people become more and more resistant to that. We talk about some of that during this show as well. And there really is a very clear structure system to how to do your elevator pitch, as it were, your general pitch for your business that you are not going to want to miss. And don't worry, it gets recapped again at the end. I would honestly encourage you to have your notebooks ready for this episode 
because you may well need it. And look, you can refer to the transcript and I hope that you will find that helpful too. I would encourage you to have a notepad and pen handy whilst you listen to this episode, because I'm going to make sure that I re-listen to it with my notepad as well. On Speaking Influence, we delve into knowledge, skills, experiences, stories, and secrets of some of the world's best influence and persuasion experts. We have in-depth conversations with people like Mike Verrett, who are out in the world applying and often teaching tools of ethical influence and persuasion. And maybe sometimes we'll speak to people who are addressing the not-so-ethical side of things too. Guests on the show generally range from successful authors and entrepreneurs to secret service members and psychologists, marketing and branding experts, even the occasional professional comedian or world champion of public speaking or storytelling. We've had former cult members, neuroscientists, voice coaches, professional stylists, political speech writers, and public speaking experts. Every episode takes our guest knowledge and experience and turns it into actionable information that you can use to build a deeper understanding of how the general world of influence and persuasion works to help you become a better wielder of the weapons of ethical influence and persuasion in life and in business, and also better able to defend yourself when those things may be used against your better interests in life as well. Hopefully leaving us all a little smarter and wiser than before. So remember, if you get a value from the show, make sure you are subscribed and that you share it out. Go ahead, enjoy the show. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that explores the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business with persuasive presentations and podcasting coach, Johnny Ball. If you have an online business, you need to work on list building. The easiest way to get started for free is ConvertKit. It's recommended by industry pros like Pat Flynn, Chris Ducker, and our very own Johnny Ball. Click the link in the show notes and start building your list today. Welcome to the show. I have been saying for a while now that we're going to be having a much bigger focus on the show on influence and persuasion stuff. And one of the things that is really critical for people to be able to persuade with, especially you business owners out there, if you're a speaker, you're a coach, or have any kind of business or service for yourself, then you need to be able to talk about that really effectively. And you've probably heard people talking about things like elevator pitches, and you maybe have even been to trainings where people show you how to do that. But so many people's elevator pitches don't really stand out. They don't really get you to think, oh, you know, oh, that's interesting. And so today we have a guest who is going to talk with us about elevator pitches, about how to talk about your business in a way that is going to make people say, oh, tell me more. His name is Mike Verrett. Mike, welcome to the show. Johnny, thank you so much for having me. I couldn't be uh, more excited to talk, to talk with you. And I know we met, geez, what was it, about a month ago now. So M- it's might be a, a bit more than that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been, a, it's been a, a bit of anticipation and looking forward to sitting down with you. So thanks for having me. It's a delight to have you here. And I've been very much looking forward to this conversation. Let me ask you one thing before, before we get into talking about a topic that we're here today. What is one thing that you don't mind sharing that most people don't know about you? Here's, a, here's an interesting story for you. Something that most people don't know about me. I named a dinosaur in Jurassic World. Wow. Um, yes. The original name of Indominus Rex, the big bad white dinosaur in the movie, was Diabolus Rex. 
And that's what the studio had named it. We were, I was working at Hasbro Toys at the time, and we were making toys for four-year-olds from the movie. So our public relations department calls us and says, listen, this is what they named the dinosaur, Diabolus Rex. You need to do a Google image search. And we did. And the <laughs> only thing that came up was a guy with horn implants and black contacts and a beard. The outgoing president of the Church of Satan was named <laughs> Diabolus Rex. So hmm. we were immediately posed with this issue of we can't have mom looking for Diabolus Rex and this guy coming up. So we told the studio and they said, okay, well, you guys come up with a different name for the dinosaur. Great. I'm not, a, you know, we're not film writers or screenplay writers or anything, but we could do that. So my friend Mike and I, who's a copywriter, he and I put the word Rex on a whiteboard, broke out a Latin dictionary and just looked at words that looked cool next to Rex <laughs> and then started defining them. And Indominus turned out to loosely translate to unconquerable which I spent 20 minutes selling to Universal Studios as, oh, it's foreshadowing and it's irony and it's this and that. And they go, okay, yeah, whatever. And that's the name of the dinosaur now is Indominus Rex. So there's the Hollywood magic for you that I've been involved in. <laughs> that, well, that's fantastic. And I'm, def I'm never going to be able to watch that film now without thinking about that and, and thinking about you. So, so that's great. Well, it's a, a wonderful story. An Easter egg for you, Johnny. When you're watching the movie, watch for when they show the radar screen in the control room. And they have a two-letter, three-number code next to wherever Indominus Rex is in the park. It still says DR. They never changed it to IR. <laughs> well, there you go. It's one of those things that people who like to look out for those sorts of mistakes yeah. or inconsistencies in films will absolutely love that one. But what, right. what, a, great, what a great story to get from, from such a short, <laughs> short, simple question. But also, it brings up that you worked for Hasbro. Which, yes. which in itself is is fascinating. Like your history is in marketing and, and advertising, mm -hmm. and so particularly for toys. And one of the things I've talked about in the, some of the intro notes that people might be seeing if they're watching on social media live right now is that you know how to get people's attention. You know how to get kids' attention and how to get people to buy stuff. You know how to pitch a dinosaur name to Universal Studios. I mean, that that is great stuff. What was your start with advertising and, and marketing and where did you realize or what made you realize that that was your skill that was your real talent that is a great question i had prior to hasbro and joining the brand the brand organization the global brand organization at hasbro i had 18 years of agency experience on traditional advertising marketing firms that kind of stuff that's what i worked on and a lot of it happened to be youth targeted starting from college and kind of down, one of the accounts that I had in an early agency was Hasbro Games. And they were at the time were located in a different place than Hasbro Toys. Now they're all one big happy family in Rhode Island. But I, my last assignment for five years, I was the on-site account director for the boys' toy business at Hasbro and got to know the business intimately because 5% of what the client is thinking about is 100% of our focus, right? But they're only thinking about advertising 5% of the time. I got to see that other 95% and it gave me sort of a crash course in business. So they hired me onto the brand team in 2011. I was hired from the agency onto the client side, which is always, you know, a catchphrase in the agency world. And they put me on Transformers and right away I'm living my childhood. Optimus Prime was one of my heroes growing up. I was 13 when the show came out. And this is before cell phones and everything. Kids still played mm -hmm. with action figures, believe it or not. But what I quickly realized is I am not the corporate material. 
I'm not a type A master's in business go-getter who wants to get to that VP level. That's not in me. But where I ended up landing was Hasbro Games. And on the games business, initially, I was just a senior product manager, a senior brand manager. But in 2016, I kind of usurped or took creative control of our global sales meeting, where we had a thousand people from around the world come in and they cycle through all these presentations. And I turned our presentation into a late night show episode, but without any interviews, just stupid human tricks. Think of it that way. But what I realized was I knew how to communicate with an audience. Because all I ever pay attention to is the audience. What are they thinking right now? How did they react to that? And that's my entire focus. So my job became face of Hasbro gaming. I would be flown around the world presenting Hasbro games at whether it was internal brand summits or global toy fairs where we're talking to the buyers or even consumer events like a YouTube convention in a YouTuber convention in Los Angeles. I was the person they sent out there. And it turned out that I was one of 8,000 people in the organization. I was the one person who could do this best. I was 45 years old when I realized that. So it's like, what am I going to be when I grow up? I didn't answer until I was 45. <laughs> I <laughs> left Some Hasbro. people still freaking that out, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. It's like, oh, I'm growing up now, I guess, because now I know what I want to be. What I did was turn my business into, I leveraged that, the fact that I can understand how an audience or a customer thinks about a message they're receiving. I turned that into my business of showing other companies how to talk about themselves to their audience. And it's from years of experience of working with audiences, whether it's through traditional marketing and advertising channels or literally talking to an audience in front of me, that's always been my focus. So if I'm able to show a business their audience's perspective of their message and show them what they're taking away, I can help them to clarify that and get their audience latched onto what they're talking about. Here's why that's important. Think of a resume. We've all written a resume before and we put plenty of time into where we've been, what we accomplished, our job responsibilities, and telling that story about our career. But the average employer looks at a resume for seven to nine seconds, which means that fundamentally the only part they're going to see is the first sentence at the top. And if they don't connect with you on that sentence, it gets moved over to the other pile. They're not caught on. They don't want to read more. They don't want to find out more because it didn't instantly intrigue them. Apply that to a business. A consumer now looks for everything they need on Google. They go on Google, they enter a search term, 0.3 seconds goes by, and all of a sudden they've got 100 results that are answering the question what they're looking for. So think about the consumer behavior or the audience behavior with those results. Click, no, not the right one. Back button, go to the next one. Back button, go to the next one until they hit what they want. That's the stopping power that your message needs. You need to be able to communicate what you do and how you help them in a seven-second story up front to get them to read further. And that's what I focus on, is how do you grab your audience's attention and hold it so that they will see what you offer and how you can help them? Because otherwise, they'll just hit the back button and go to the next result. I've certainly come across that principle with sales letters and, and sales outreach. You know, if, you, if you don't grab people's attention, if, if after reading the first sentence, they don't think, I want to read more, you may they may not read anymore. That might be as far as they get. And, and so it certainly makes sense that it would be the same principle here. And I, know I do a lot of networking. And so I, I hear all sorts of people's 
pitches, if you like, the elevator pitches as to when you say, well, tell me a bit more about what you do. And very often people just describe their role. I think now maybe a few more people are talking about who they help. But even then, kind of hear the same formula all the time. I guess there have been a lot of people out there teaching these uh, elevator pitch formulas. What, in your opinion, makes somebody's elevator pitch, so how they talk about their business, stand out? Well, it's it's the foundation for how I work with clients actually is based on I needed something shiny to talk about, like something to market, right? So elevator pitch is a great place for me to start. Because fundamentally, when we think about everybody is sort of trained to think about elevator pitch as what do you say in 10 seconds if somebody tells you or asks you what you do for a living? And in that 10 seconds, you feel obliged to cover a lot of ground or to provide information that makes it easy for them to understand. So for instance, if you and I are talking in in a traditional sense, if you were to ask me what I do, and I use the term marketing communication specialist or strategic consult, whatever. If I start to use words that you recognize, you assign meaning to those words. So if I said marketing consultant, you would immediately assign value to that question answered to a degree. Or the other side of that is you're trying to explain everything in 10 seconds. And that's what you're talking about. When people look at what I have written on LinkedIn, learn to talk about yourself, showing businesses how to talk about themselves. Somebody said to me, I love your elevator pitch. And I said, well, that's just the first floor. Because the idea of an elevator pitch is not 10 seconds. It's how long they'll stay on the elevator listening to your story. Right. And if you start with a point of connection on that first floor, getting them intrigued and getting them interested in what you're going to say next, then you've got them and you can bring them through a logical progression of information. So my first floor is intrigue and connection. How do I drive that initial, I want to know more with that seven seconds? How do I grab their attention? Then the second floor is the insight of who you help and what the challenge is. Third floor is your solution. Fourth floor is your process. Fifth floor is your services. I'm getting to that fifth floor, not first. And sixth floor is the call to action. That's actually the structure of information that the people would expect to get as an audience listening to someone talking to them. But we don't think about that. We think about it from our business perspective. And from our business perspective, 100% is important to us. Only about 2% of that matters to our audience at any given time. So ultimately, your elevator pitch needs to be a storytelling device, not 10 seconds to cram in everything that you do. (laughs) So not an information dump. Exactly, exactly. I think the challenge with that is people don't know what to take away from it if it's an information dump. As human beings, we only remember three things at a time. And a simple test is if you look at a phone number and go and write it, try to write it down or dial it, you find yourself going back and checking the last numbers. That's because the first three, you remember no problem. Maybe the fourth after that, we don't know. We can Mm -hmm. only remember three things. So in an elevator pitch, if I'm giving you all this stuff to think about, what are you going to take away from it? That's the question. But if I feed you the information in a more of a storytelling manner about how you're ready to receive that information and in the order that's important to you, then you start to follow along with the story. And I equate it to a well-written FAQ page. It starts with the most general and finishes with the most specific, most detailed. It doesn't go general, detailed, more general, more detailed. It's in a logical order because that's how the human mind works. And businesses 
have a hard time taking a step back thinking about that aspect of their customer base. And the fact that you could have the best product in the world, but if they're not going to find out about it, what the hell's the point? And that's more than just marketing. It's more than just, I need to be on Facebook or I need to be, I need to have an email list or CRM. Those are just tactical at that point. If you have your message right, and the one thing that you're able to talk about, it doesn't matter if you're on an elevator, in a sales pitch, or putting a billboard up on on the motorway. It doesn't matter. Those are all vessels that just carry your message. The message is what's important and what your audience latches onto. Definitely. It's one of the challenges, perhaps, for modern business owners that I know this from, from my own experience, perhaps, and many others might feel this too, that we do more than just one thing. Mm-hmm. And that perhaps creates a, a challenge for how you put that story together. It definitely creates a challenge. And what I'll tell you is there's always a way to connect it. Meaning, I will talk to a client who tells me they have three audiences that they talk to. My first inclination is, okay, well, how do we tie them back to that one message first? And then those audiences can be leveraged off of that message. Because you can't spend the money and time and resources to talk to three different audiences in three different ways. Especially if you are ultimately about one thing. What you're doing is parsing out that one thing that you do to figure out how to increase your customer base or serve your customer base. But what that ends up doing is fragmenting your message. Everything becomes a to-do list. And all of a sudden, you're chasing six directions for social media, and you have two different things on your website that you have to... It doesn't work. And I hit the resistance all the time where people say, there's no way to do this. I have to talk to these people this way. All I help them do is find the commonality that they can lead with. Because otherwise, you need to talk to three different groups in three different ways. And that's not conducive to running your business. You need to be known for one thing. That one thing can have several audience intersections. But if you're not preaching and messaging that one thing all the time, you're fragmenting what your capabilities are. So at the end of working with a client, what the output is, is their message, a foundational document that they can give to a web developer, or they can give to your email distribution list manager, whomever. They have a brief to work off of, think of it that way. And then I give them three things that they need to focus on to reach that audience with their message. So what they come out of it with is really just, okay, here are the three main marketing levers I need to pull to get my message out. And I'm going to stay focused on those three until I see success. Yeah, which which makes great sense. It's one of the things that occurs to me is that you know, even, even for people like myself who do have like, a number of different things going on, mm-hmm. is that they pretty much stem from each other. They're related. They're, they're 100%. Not, they're, they're not variously different. So if you think about what do the other things actually flow from, what's the one thing that that flows from, that's the thing that you should probably make sure that you get known for, right? Yeah, and I would say when you find yourself parsing out and segmenting your audience – It all started from one place. You had one vision to begin with and how that sort of was dissected or how that grew, let's say. You're going along with it. It's not reactive, but you're going along with it and seeing opportunities to take advantage of. But at no point does that change the fact that you started with this one vision, this one idea. And especially with small businesses, we go into it with a passion for what we know how to do. I don't know accounting. I don't know web development. I don't know taxes. I have to find people to help me with this stuff all the time. Getting that outside perspective is amazing because it 
allows you to not see all the trees, be able to take in an aerial view. It's why my logo is a butterfly. An elevated perspective of your message and your audience provides you with much more accuracy in what you're doing. And if you can get out of the weeds of it and take a step back and look at, okay, this really does tie to what I do and what I started this business or why I'm growing this business, it all does tie back to that. It's actually a revelatory moment for a lot of people where they say, oh my God, you're right. My main message is on the third paragraph of the about us section on our website. And I didn't even notice it because they're not thinking that way. They're thinking about, okay, well now I have these three audiences that I have to worry about and how do I talk to each of them? And it becomes overwhelming. So in a lot of ways it becomes cathartic. It becomes almost therapeutic to figure out that one message and how to say it and how to grab that attention. Everything else kind of falls in line after that and makes life easier. Is it also that people are thinking what they want to tell people rather than what people need to hear? A hundred percent. It goes back to that idea of everything that you're doing is so important to you because you live it and breathe it every single day. And understanding that your audience doesn't and what part of that you need to grab their attention with to get them to see everything else is really a challenge. But what people do is they look at it as, I have to get the word out. And they end up being on Facebook or Instagram and they end up having their website and all these different products and services that they want to sell. And they feel like they need all these pages to do it. And it's creating more work for them. Whereas if they're able to focus on that one message, they know what their audience wants. So to give you an example, I've talked to so many people who've written books and their inclination personally is I want to write about this. It's important to Mm me, but they're not writing for their audience at that point. They're writing for themselves. This is their way of saying, I want to get this out and I'm going to write a book about it. I could never write a book. I would drive myself nuts. I would get distracted. I wouldn't follow through. I just know that about myself. But what I also know is I went through the same thing, sort of preaching what I know. And I was doing it across a number of platforms and trying to figure out where my audience was or, oh, everybody's on Facebook or everybody goes on the web or everybody watches podcasts. So I should start a podcast. I finally had to take a step back and say, look, I need to do three things for my business. I know there's one thing that I'm known for, and it's showing businesses how to talk about themselves. My offer is a free 30-minute phone call. Why the hell can't I just tell people? So what I started doing was focusing on three things. One, LinkedIn for content and communication. People who are in business are on LinkedIn, not on Facebook and not on Instagram. They're there for one reason, to network for business. There are a million reasons people are on those other platforms. Number two, one-to-one or group networking allows me to form connections with people because I know my strength is talking with people. And if I can understand my audience, I can leave an impression. So that's the second thing. And then third is opportunities like this. I know that I'm not going to run my own show or produce my own product, put it that way. But I am more than happy if I get the opportunity to be on someone else's program to amplify what I do. So I've kept myself focused on those three things and stopped thinking about everything I want to say, started thinking about where is my audience and what do they need to hear and how do they need to hear it. And that's where I started to see a lot more success and an acceleration in my business was taking a step back and saying, look, it's not a scattershot approach. Once you have your message, it could be a drone strike. It could be so specific and targeted 
You just need to know what that message is first. So I, in my work, I know time is of the essence. What I offer and what I do is a three-week process because you need to get that message squared away and I hand you that document. Then you're off and running. Then you can build your website the right way. You can build your pitch the right way. You'll know what to say when you're on that elevator. Once you have those things nailed down, everything becomes a lot easier. Yeah. What what kind of difference does that make? I mean, is it an immediate noticeable difference or is it something that takes a bit of time to roll out? It does. It is an immediate noticeable difference. And I'll give you an example. I worked with a client about a year ago and she wanted to, she's run a PR agency for 29 years. Obviously, if she's running it for 29 years, she knows what she's doing, but she finds herself just being overlooked a lot or not standing out is how she explained it. So we looked at her website and three others, and all four of them are PR websites. And all four of them essentially said when we landed on them, we're a PR agency, we'll get your word out. So we talked for a while, we went through the process. And what we uncovered was in university, she was known for getting all of her dorm mates and flatmates out of writer's block. She had a knack for finding the right words when other people just couldn't get it. Hmm. So going through the exercise where we landed as the lead language for her is I get businesses out of writer's block. Every business gets writer's block because they can't write about themselves. If I ask you to write about yourself in flowing terms, then send it to me and I rewrite what I see, even in our limited knowledge of one another, I'd send it back to you and I'd see you blush. Because we're not capable of doing that. Ego drives it. Projection drives it. We're not comfortable that way. Businesses experience the same thing. They can't find the right words to talk about themselves. This woman can. She gets them out of business writer's block so that they can get their message out. So now when you land on that site, it says every business gets writer's block. We'll help you find the right words. That's immediate impact. If you put it back into that Google search pattern, somebody's looking for a PR agency, four results turn up. Three of them say, we're a PR agency. No kidding. That's what I put into the search. And you just hit the lowest expectation I could possibly have for what I'm going to say. But if they hit the fourth one and it relates exactly to what they're going through, I can't find the words to talk about myself. This person is saying it to me right up front that they can. I'm intrigued. I'm going to listen and read more. So there's an example for you. Yeah, that's great. I I get quite a few people come to me on LinkedIn and tell me that they love my LinkedIn profile. Well, my descriptor, if you like, because it says become as persuasive as a cult leader, lead like a Roman emperor, I don't think speak like a Roman emperor. And yet listen to you now, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I like that. And it's interesting and it's different. But what you said actually has real momentum to it is like that's something that says oh i should do something about that or that is for me whereas my i think mine is just maybe like a bit more interesting and stands out about me what you say just has a feels to me like it has a bit of well not a bit a much stronger impact well it's a question of the device you're using right what you selected for that stopping power shock and awe think of it that way like how would you possibly have the audacity to compare me to a cult leader (laughs) (laughs) and using these things that would really grab attention right away it's it doesn't necessarily say exactly what like on a literal term what they're looking for but at the same time it's using a device that gets them to say well like a cult leader like i 
where is this guy going with this? So it does create that intrigue. But if we were to if we were to back out a little bit from where you started out with the cult leader and you know perform like this, who are you helping? Who are you talking to? And what's their what's their challenge? You know, because if their challenge is let's say let's say it's presentation, they they just have an incredibly hard time in front of an audience. How does telling that maybe telling them it doesn't have to be this terrifying? You do this every day. You don't even realize it and getting them aligned with everybody goes through this and I can help you with that. So you can perform at the level or have the influence of a cult leader or something like that. Now what you're doing is assigning meaning to the exact problem they have, which is in that instance, confidence in front of, in front of a an audience for a presentation. You know, let's say there's a hundred people in the room all looking at you. There's a reason, there's a saying in the world that people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy at a funeral because people are so irrationally terrified of, of speaking to an audience. They feel yeah. exposed. So if that's the challenge for people that you're addressing, getting them to that idea is as simple as pointing out why they feel like that in the first place and then reinforcing it with, cult leader you know this is you could be as persuasive as that but if you take it back one step it's really the impulse of why they would look for your kind of help in the first place is what they're going through and that's what you're drawing attention to yeah which i think is perhaps the thing that comes a bit later in the the profile descriptor so there, there is some clarification there as well but yeah it's fascinating i've been working with well, I say working with, yeah, speaking to, working with, and having on as guests people who have a lot of expertise in brands and, and mm-hmm. personal branding. These conversations, and it's good. They, I learn something every single time we have it. It's yeah. not just like a one and done deal. It's like I, I learn new things about this all the time, and I'm learning stuff talking to you today. And one of the things that I think I, I get from this is being able to stand out and like you say, being able to create a bit of intrigue. Uh, but I also had a, a big realization in talking with talking about brand stories and talking about personal branding a while back, which was that there wasn't really that one thing that I felt like I was becoming known for. I was mm. being too general and stuff that I was putting out for into the world in terms of content and stuff like that. Whereas people who are very specific about who they're serving and what it is they're putting out. They might put out other content as well. They might have some other things that they talk about, but you go to them for that one thing. And and that was a big realization for me. And that ties in with some of the things that we've talked about today as well. But I I think that was probably the the biggest blockage that I had when it came to to brand. And so I've I focused much more on the influence and persuasion side. But to some degree, and I'll be honest, I'm still figuring out what people want from that. I know what yeah. I want to offer, but I'm still trying to figure out what people really want from that and mm-hmm. putting out content in relation to that. Is that kind of the the next step for me then in terms of pitching and the likes? Yeah, I mean, think about it this way. If you get aligned on that one thing that's important to your audience and you're able to talk about that all the time, that's just what you become known for. When it gets fragmented is if you're talking to three different audiences in three different ways, knowing that it all started from one place and not addressing it, that becomes the challenge. But what I would say is the content becomes more meaningful to people. They tune into it when it's more meaningful to them. 
And think about your audience. They latch on to what you're doing and you have a repeat audience. They have a certain expectation. So take a, a sitcom on TV. If all of a sudden it turns into a drama, you're going to lose an audience because yeah. they're expecting sitcom. Okay. If you start to talk about different things, they start to lose track. So being known for that one thing and talking about that one thing, even if it's just the entry point for what you're going to talk about next, keeps them aligned on what's already shown as important to them. Um, the other aspect of that is making it remarkably, getting them to think about the idea on their terms. Okay, so I'll give you an example of this. If I were to say to you and five other people, think of Santa Monica Beach in California. Whether you've been there or not, everybody could come to a postcard idea of that, of what I'm talking about. And then maybe I'd talk about the Ferris wheel or whatever. But I could change that severely by simply saying, think of a beach to those same six people, you and five others. And all six of you go somewhere remarkably personal and only important to you. And I'm a big fan. Everything I know is from the movies. Almost literally everything I know is from the movies. But one of them that I love is Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. Michael Nolan film. And they talk about an idea being more viral than any contagion and more addictive than any drug. Because once you've made an idea your own, there's no way to get rid of it. So if you can get your audience to latch on in a way that's important to them, then they start to listen a lot more carefully and read a lot more deeply. A practical example, Monopoly is a game that you buy once for $15 and keep it 20 years and replace pieces as you go. Okay. It's not like a can of Coca-Cola, which is a frequency purchase, or maybe a laptop or an iPad, which is a luxury purchase. People buy it once. So how do you get people to buy more Monopoly was the challenge. So we were going through, 12 of us in a room, going through pages and pages of a research deck, quantitative and qualitative, all this stuff. But on page like 32, there's a bunch of little cutouts of, say, article headlines from the internet. And right in the middle is one that says, BuzzFeed poll. 50% of people cheat when they play Monopoly. Like, okay, we could work with this. Everybody in the room started talking about examples of it happening to them or them cheating. So we go in front of the C-suite, 46 people in front of the presentation, I'm in front of the, the us for the presentation. And the first slide says 50% of people cheat when they play Monopoly. And the entire room for five minutes talked about cheating. I used to do this. My mom used to do this. Everybody had an opinion, the CEO, the CMO, everybody. The next slide was introducing Cheaters Edition Monopoly, where you try <laughs> to get away with cheating. There, and if you get caught, we added a handcuff to the go-to-jail board, like an 18-inch chain that goes around your wrist and everything. And we turned it into the next version of Monopoly based on that one insight that we delivered to an audience that immediately adopted it as their own idea because they had experienced it. Third slide was just how we're going to market it, and that was it. It was a done deal because it was simple. We yeah. got them aligned on the most obvious message to all of them and got them to think about it on their terms and then showed them the solution. And I'll, one more quick example. I was talking with a, a colleague of mine who was working on his own messaging. He said, I think I figured it out. I'm like the Cheshire cat of customer experience. 
And I said, you're going to have to explain that to me. He said, well, the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland gives these cryptic directions to Alice about where to go, what to do. I give people those directions. I said, well, you just made me ask you who the Cheshire Cat is. And I had to relate it all the way back to Alice in Wonderland and what Alice goes through. So why not start with, think of Alice in Wonderland. You need a guide to get through that. I'm the guide. I'm the Cheshire Cat. Now you've aligned me with Alice in Wonderland right away. And I don't have to go back in my thinking. Cheshire Cat is from this and this and this. You've got me there right away. And there's no guessing around it. It's just as simple as getting your audience latched on to the idea at the top level, the biggest piece of your audience. And then they start to filter down right into your solution, your process, your services, and how to get in touch. And that's ultimately what you want to do. Yeah. This is like, uh, my, my brain's going at uh, 100 miles mm-hmm. an hour because I'm thinking of so many things. I'm thinking, oh, wow, yeah, that's really interesting. And and I know that I'm going to be going back and, and re-listening to this. I, mean, I love the creativity uh, and the, that way of thinking about it i love that monopoly idea as well i think yeah. already i'm thinking oh yeah that sounds like a lot of fun I, I would play that game but yeah you put that idea in the head you can get that hook and those idea hooks are, are so important because once the hook's in is it, as you said it's not coming out it's going to stay there right. and and i particularly love that so that's how we should be thinking about approaching creating that intrigue and and planting uh, planting the seed or getting that mental hook in so that people get it and they want to they want to know more and they, mm-hmm. they want to find out more about you so so that's really cool i know that i want to recap this and i'm sure that some of the audience will be like please recap the structure that you went through in terms of how you put together your pitch on, on like the different floors if you, if sure. you could recap that i don't know if you're able to expand on any of the other bits of that whilst we've got some time here yeah i mean well The reason I approach it this way, first of all, is familiarity with the term elevator pitch. And I can immediately disrupt someone's thinking about it if I say, well, that's not my version of the elevator pitch. My version is how long they'll stay on the elevator. But the storytelling device that's there isn't really original. It's what's the challenge and who that's the second floor. The third floor is what's my solution. The fourth floor is how do I do that? What is my process? The fifth floor is features and benefits of the services at that point. Because you've already brought them through, here's your problem, here's my solution, here's how I do it. So the fifth floor becomes what you offer. And the sixth floor becomes the call to action, whether it's sign up for a mailing list or call me now or click here, whatever it is. For me, it's schedule time for a free 30-minute phone call. But the first floor is what changes all of that in my mind and the way I approach it because the first floor is that connection point. Hmm. And the most important thing for any brand is to form a connection with their audience in that first seven seconds. That's how long you have. It's like a first impression. So if your message doesn't stand out, I believe in a simple, you got to be first, best, or different. A simple philosophy. And 99.9% of us are not going to be first or best. But all of us can come across as different. So by following that structure of creating a connection point first, and then taking them through what you what you do in the right order, not jumping from here's a headline that'll grab your attention and here's my services. That's not how the human brain is working. Remember, general to specific. So starting with that connection point on the first floor, then identifying the problem, then showing the solution when you get to the third floor, then your process on the fourth floor. By the time you get to the fifth floor, it's academic. They're already into the story, and now you're just showing them 
what the actual thing is that they would be getting. Yeah. And that's how it should look. That's, that's great. How do you think, I know kind of skipping straight to the end of that really, but how do you think people should decide what the right call to action is for them? Well, that is, I guess that's the big question, right? Because if you get your call to action and the easiest vehicle with which they can achieve that call to action, your audience, that's the win, right? How do you make it as easy as possible? But the call to action is really going to be about what is the next logical step that they need to take? Is it click buy now? Is it set up time? Is it your free consultation? Is it join our email list? That's going to come down to what the product or service is that you're providing. And if it's something that you need to nurture the relationship or find out more, if it's something where this is an easy decision, a quick purchase, just click here. Those are all things that you have to take into consideration. The one thing that I'll say about the call to action is it has to be simple and it has to be a next step. It can't be looked at as, okay, now that I've given you all this information, here's everything you need to do. Yeah. You need to make it easy for them. So imagine reading a web, going through a website, and at the end, all you have to do is A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, and I. You're not going to do all those things. People don't want to deal with it, or they'll put it off, they'll do it later, and you've lost that connection point. If you keep it as a next logical step, want to know more, even. That's what you want to be focused on, because that's how your audience is thinking in that moment. Yeah, and that makes sense. I think a lot of people try to go straight to sale, right? They they yeah. want to go straight to the sale. You know, I see. I was kind of griping about this on LinkedIn yesterday about how many people <laughs> either direct message you or or now just find your email address and your contact detail and, and contact you in, in your inbox uh, without any introduction, just because they they have a product or a service that they think you might be interested in. They they want to sell their stuff. I, I don't deny anyone a living, and people people are going to hustle, but. For me personally, I, I need a bit of a relationship. I need a bit of warming up first. And, and I think that's one of the things that sadly a lot of people miss because people always just kind of want to go straight for the sale. I think that's where so many people go wrong. What made you choose to use a phone call rather than any other CTA? Well, to sort of back it up a little bit, I think you're talking about there are two types of approaches to this. I'm being very general, okay? But call it quantitative versus qualitative. So the people who tend to drop you notes without any introduction, they're actually trying to hit a number. They know that out of every 50 emails sent, they get one response. So they need to send 250 emails to generate five responses and then see where it goes from there. So it's a numbers game in that scenario versus the qualitative side, which is what you're talking about, which is more relationship and not numbers. So there is a middle ground depending on what your goal is, right? But for me, it came from a very natural place. My first, I managed a bar for two years after I graduated college. Then I went into radio ad sales, which is just cold calling and trying to sell somebody that I, I just didn't even believe in what I was selling. I had a terrible experience with it. So when I started my own business, I was terrified of the sales part. And it relates all the way back to when I was 24 years old. I'm 48 now. You'd think I'd get over some of this stuff. It's like if you have a bad experience with tequila and you never want tequila again, that kind of thing. So yeah. I found myself in this situation where I had to sell to make money 
but I hate selling. I hate the idea of it because my context for it was cold call. So what I knew about myself was if I can get someone on the phone, I'm pretty good at being persuasive and influential in how I talk. And I can think quickly. That's important too. So if somebody says something in talking about their business, I can pick up on it quickly and respond. The best forum for that is a 30-minute Zoom call or phone call. No risk. I'm never trying to sell anybody anything. And it's more convincing them of what I can do in real time by doing it by showing them examples in the conversation. So for me, it was very specific. It was driven by initially fear and this gross taste in my mouth of sales. But where I netted out was LinkedIn is where people go. So those are the people I should be talking to because they're business people, small business owners, ad agencies, all of my the types of businesses I work with. And I know that if I'm talking to people one-to-one or in a group, I can be influential. So I made that my second point. And the last one is exactly what we're doing now. It's basically a natural extension of the second one, which is that ability to just sort of amplify those connections. The reason I did it that way, though, is because if I get somebody on the phone, I know it can work for me and it's very approachable and risk-free. So that's what worked for me. If I were in a higher yield numbers game, it may be a different story. I may be, instead of of networking and sort of lead generation through networking, maybe I would be looking at email campaigns or blogging or things where I'm getting that repeat audience all the time. But that's not how my business works. So I had to make the decisions that were right for me and the audience I want to reach. That's great. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with us. It's uh, it, it's interesting for me how it ties in with two very recent episodes as well. As well for me, one, one with an uh, amazing lady called Natalie Clune, where we talked about relationship marketing, and then just after that, another lady, Wendy Harris, who was talking about sales calls and cold calling, and and that was relevatory re- 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 as well, and uh, and really cool. So uh, I love that that what we just what you just said there ties in so well with that. I know we need to start wrapping things up and you have mentioned already that people can come and book a 30 minute phone call with you to come and find out more. That's what we were just talking about as your your call to action. How do they do that? It's very simple. You go to my website, barretteandassociates.com. So my last name and associates.com. My associate is my dog. He's lying down back here. (laughs) No, I have wonderful associates, but I'm, I'm an army of one. Visit my website and click the green button. And while you're there, you can just find out more about me. But it's very simple to just schedule a call. And my brand promises I won't be boring. That's the only thing I can promise you. But other than that, I don't know where the conversation would go. And I just love to hear what people are going through. And a lot of times I can help what they're going through on that call. I don't mind at all. And I love doing it. I tell people I only charge them when I have to put pen to paper when I actually have to write stuff. (laughs) Hopefully people already have a good sense of how interesting that that call is going to be and how much fun they can have chatting with you because I've certainly been enjoying the conversation and I'm really looking forward to going and listening to it back with my notepad and writing some stuff down and making some good notes that I because I've taken away a lot of value from this already and I want to make sure that I really lock it in there. I have to go back and rewatch it to remember what I said to you. (laughs) Well, you'll be able to do the right way. It's it's immediately published on on social media. The the replays are there right away. But the (laughs) the actual podcast episode comes out just uh, a few weeks, just a few weeks later. So if you want just the audio version and the transcript and all of that, make sure to to get the podcast in a few weeks when it comes out. Perfect. 
One thing I always like to ask my guests is for book recommendations. And so it could be related to elevator pitching or talking about your business or just a book that you think people should read and that you found great or helpful fiction, nonfiction. And everyone always asks me, can I have more than one? Yes, you can have two. What would you recommend? I am not a nonfiction reader. I read every night when I'm going to bed and I consume a lot of spy novels, usually more just to calm my brain than anything else. So it's more a distraction the way I use it. But in my line of work and understanding an audience, there's one book and one author. He actually did three books. His pen name is Troon, T-R-O-O-N, McAllister. And the first book that he wrote is called The Green. It is based on a municipal golf course, golf pro in just outside of Atlanta, Georgia who uses unbelievable social tact to win golf matches against these unbelievable famous people. And he's basically a hustler. But the way he does it and the way he gets into the heads of the people he's playing with is absolute genius. The book is incredibly funny. It's a quick read. All three of them are really good. But what I took away from it was understanding your audience. This guy was a master at understanding even the psychology of the people he was playing with. And to give you an example, he was playing with a guy who said, um, you don't even have to give me any strokes. This guy was 10 strokes better than him in the game of golf. He says, you don't even have to give me any strokes. All I ask is during our 18 holes, I get the chance to scream out loud twice during your swing. <laughs> and the guy says, no problem. So he gets on the first tee and Eddie, the guy's name is Eddie, stands about call it two meters back from him and just in his eye line. And the first swing back this guy takes, Eddie just screams out, ah, and the guy hits a perfect drive 300 yards down the middle of the fairway. It's like, this is going to be easy. Every single shot the guy took from that point on, Eddie stood eight meters behind him and just a little bit to be in his eyesight and never screamed again. But the anticipation of him screaming destroyed the guy's round and Eddie beat him for $1,000. <laughs> I like that kind of psychology. That sounds like a fun read. And look, we're in the, the heights of summer now. People might be looking for a good beach read. That sounds like a great one to check out. Yeah, it's a, it's a very entertaining and quick read. Fantastic. Mike, I thank, you. thank you. I really appreciate everything you shared with us today and all the time that you've given us as well and some great insights. As we wrap things up for today, if there was maybe just one thing that you hope that people will remember and take away from listening to this show or maybe watching with us today, what would it be? The one thing I would absolutely encourage everyone to understand is that it's not what's important to you. You need to sort through and figure out what's important to your audience. Because out of that 100%, if only 2% of it is important to your audience, and you have seven seconds to convey that to catch their attention with your message, that becomes insanely important. So understanding what part of, of your story, of your brand, of your business, of your service is going to connect with your audience should be the number one thing. Because from there, everything else will make sense. If you have that one message nailed down and the way to talk about it on an elevator, if you have that nailed down, everything else will start to make sense to your audience as well. 
Fantastic. Well, that, that's amazing. Thank you so much for everything you shared. And that was a great recap as well. I think it's something that I hope that I that stays in my head to take away from this chat today too. And for those of you uh, watching or listening, make sure that you not only make your own notes from this episode and put something into action that you've heard and learned today, plenty to take action on, plenty to think about. And of course, go and book yourself in a chat with Mike and have some fun chatting to him. Maybe he's got some more stories. I'm sure he has got some more stories he can share with you as well. Oh, we were just scratching the surface. We've learned a lot today. Mike, thank you so much. We'll see you again next time on Speaking Influence. Johnny, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I appreciate it so much. Well, thanks for tuning in, and I do hope you've enjoyed the show. For me, this has been such a really cool episode to have, and one that, as I said in the introduction, that I'm going to go back and re-listen to, which I will be doing multiple times because there's so much packed in there. And so please do remember, you can access the transcript through the Buzzsprout link, which will give you access to all the different channels that you can listen to the audio of the podcast on. And the transcription is there for you as well if you want to see a written down version of the show. The fee really for the show is to share it out with your friends and network. And really my goal here as a podcaster is to try and give as much value and useful stuff in the show as possible to make this a resource for you. This show is really all about empowering people with tools of influence and persuasion that you can use in your daily life and your professional life to make things better. And if you are finding that then don't keep it to yourself. Please share this stuff with your friends and your network. It not only helps the show to grow, you're doing them a favor as well. If we all end up a little bit smarter and doing business and influence and persuasion better and more ethically because of this show, then please be a part of that with us. Don't miss out on the next show where we are going to be talking to an influencer. The first time on this show ever in about two years, we are actually speaking with somebody who could be described as an influencer, even though she doesn't really like that description, because there's so many negative attachments to that word now. Her name is Whitney Lawrence, and she is an incredible person. We had a really great chat. You are not going to want to miss it. It's going to blow away some of your preconceptions about what influencers are and what they are like and you will get some real value from that as well. There's a lot of power still in being an influencer and something we can all aim for in a much healthier way. Maybe we just need a better word for it <laughs> to change the framing around it. But that's going to be next week's show. Please don't miss that. I'm trying to increase the output of the show right now and your support can really help to do that. Not just sharing the show amongst your friends, but visiting the Supercast page and perhaps buying a coffee for your show host for five US dollars a month. Or maybe you'd like to get in on one of the membership levels or perhaps you love the show and you would love to sponsor it those options are available too please visit the supercast page in the show notes in the buzzsprout page and i will look forward to hearing from you and having you become a part of the speaking influence community have an amazing week see you next time